0: So today we're going to finish this series called Think Big, and uh, we're going to finish the series looking at this issue, thinking wisely, thinking wisely about this life, the life to come. As many of you are aware, we have identified 50 acres of land out at the intersection of West Northern Avenue and Bandera, and so we're in the process of purchasing it. It's our desire to pay cash for it. It's only $375,000, so many of you are praying about what you should give over and above. Most of you have already started giving. And so a lot of people are asking me, how much has been given, and where are we at, and that whole deal. And so let me just tell you this. I am just so proud of you, the way that you've responded. So proud of this church. And uh, so here's what we're going to do. On June the 29th, I'm going to give you enough notice. We're going to announce on June the 29th in a worship service how much money you've given. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate together. Whatever that number is, we're just going to praise God and give him glory and honor. And so that is a service I promise you that you don't want to miss. So we've been in the series called Think Think Big. And today we're going to look at this issue of one last time of thinking wisely. Wisely about our resources, wisely about how God has blessed us. And so when you look at God's financial advice, his financial advice really and truly is just one word, uh, generosity. Our one word, give they were to live a life of giving. And so when you look at, at financial planners of our day, whether it's whether it's secular financial planners or whatever, then they'll tell you their their investment philosophy is to is to save and to invest and to protect your, yourself for the future and then indulge yourself in all of those other things. But God's message is countercultural to the world's message. Now, admittedly, world financial worldly financial planners will tell you that you need to give, that they'll tell you that you need to give, but they'll tell you you give out of the leftovers. They'll tell you that after you've taken care of yourself, after you've secured your future, after you've done all those things, then you should give out of the leftovers. God's Word tells us this, that we give first to Him, and we live Out of the abundance that he has given us. And so I believe strongly in this principle of of, of the first belongs to him. I told you that I wasn't raised in a home to where we gave when I was in my mid-20s and I met Christ. I had to learn this principle all for myself. And since that time, I've lived my life as a giver. And I've seen God bless in so many different ways. But when you look at scripture, you find that all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's this principle of the first. That if you give the first to him, he'll bless the rest. In other words, if you, give him, if you give him the first part of your day, he'll bless the rest. If you give him the first part of your income, he'll bless the rest. If you give him the first part of your talents and your resources and all of those other things, that he will bless the rest. You see, it takes no faith to give out of the leftovers. It absolutely takes no faith, and so when we give out of the first, when we give the first back to him, it takes great faith. And so listen, I know I'm anal about this and all of that other stuff, but the first check I write is to the church. And it's a statement of faith, and it's a statement of trust. And I was doing this long before I ever became a, a pastor, and... and you see, when we, when we give out of the first, when we give out of our first fruits, it demonstrates trust and it demonstrates faith. See, it takes no faith to give out of the leftovers. And so this, this afternoon, I just have two quick principles for you, and, and and two, not three, and mainly because I want my voice to last all the way to the end. And so one of the principles is something that I said just in talking with you when we launched this series together, and I just made a statement, and I made this statement. And it just lit up not only Twitter but Facebook and social media and people began talking about this principle. And so I started looking at this principle about why did it grab the hearts of so many people. And then I started looking at how this principle played out in Second Corinthians chapter 8 and Second Corinthians chapter 9. And so <coughs> the principle is this, and we're just going to look at it this morning together, is that, is, is, is that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving that it is possible to give without loving, right? I mean, it is possible to give because of duty, give because of guilt, give because you have to, give because you're afraid of the consequences if you don't. So guess what? It is possible in relationships, and it is possible in life for someone to give and not actually love the person that they're giving to. But it is absolutely not possible to love without giving. Remember the first time you fell in love? Remember relationships? Remember this aspect, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a hobby, whether it's whatever? It is absolutely impossible to love without giving. And so Jesus in the New Testament, all of a sudden, he ties your talents to your treasure or your, or your treasure to your heart. And he began talking about money and he began talking about money as a reflection of who you are and your priorities. Why is that? Because your money reflects who you are, your money is who you are in some respects. Your money is your home, your money is the clothes that you wear, your money is your jewelry, your money are the cars that you drive, your money is the house that you live in, your money is your hobbies, your money is your priorities, your money is your life, your money is your food, your money is your vacation. your money is your money, when you look at it, your money is who you are, and it is possible to give without loving, but it is absolutely not possible. To love someone and it not move you to giving, and it not move you to, to, to this like this life of generosity. So if you have your Bibles, your iPads, or whatever, Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, we're just going to pick the story up as Paul is ending this talk on giving and generosity. Now listen, I'm telling you, we live in a time that it is time for the church to stand. The church is the only entity, the church is the only institution that has the answer. We are watching in our culture, we are watching in our time, everything crumble, right? We're watching governments crumble, we're watching nations crumble, we're watching economies crumble, we're watching the morality crumble, we are watching everything crumble. And listen, the church has existed for thousands upon thousands of years, and it has stood... Why leaders and kings and queens and entities and governments and institutions have crumbled and fallen around. The church is the only one with the answer. Listen, we are so far away from him. There is a statistic that is just wiping me out right now. 72% of the younger generation, 18 to 28 years old, 72% of them have either been aborted in the womb, had an abortion, In the penitentiary, addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol, 72%. Our nation, our city, our state needs a church that understands these principles, that is willing just to stand in the gap and willing to hand their faith off to the next generation. And so Paul says in verse 16, all of a sudden a typical preacher gets all the way to the end and says, now let me tell you the point. And so he says the point is of this whole talk. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, each person must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctant, not under compulsion... For God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, we don't give out of guilt. In fact, is it Fellowship of the Rockies? We don't do anything out of guilt. We don't try to guilt you into anything. We don't try to coerce you into anything. We don't put thermometers up in front of here and let you know how much and all that other stuff. We don't use guilt. And so Paul is saying that in and every person should give and be a cheerful giver. That word "cheerful" in the Greek—it's a Greek word called "hilarious." It's where we get our word "hilarious." In other words, when we give, we should give out of a hilarious heart. We should give out of a joyful heart. We should give not because of guilt, not because of any of that other stuff. But we should give because we are in love with the one in whom we're giving to. Now, November the 5th is Karen and I's 30th wedding anniversary. And so we're going to celebrate November the 5th, 30 years of marriage. And so sometimes I get the date wrong and I say November the 11th because November the 11th was opening day of deer season in Texas when we got married. And so I needed to get married so I still get, you know, make it to opening day of deer season. fact is, on our honeymoon, we, Karen and I went and checked out the deer lease just to make sure everything was okay for November the 11th. So November the 5th is our 30th wedding anniversary. We're going to celebrate 30 years of marriage. Suppose I walk into her on November the 5th and she's sitting on the couch and she's watching TV. And so I take this brown, dirty paper bag, and there's something in it, and it's all crinkled up, and I kind of throw it in her lap, and I said, there, there's your anniversary gift. It cost me way too much money. is way too expensive. But I knew that if I didn't give you something that you would gripe about it. Happy anniversary. That wouldn't be very good, right? And it wouldn't come across as a loving gift. But suppose on November the 5th, I take a small gift, a thoughtful gift, and I wrap it up and I hand it to her. And I look her in the eyes and say, I I just want you to know something. You are worth way more than what I can give you. And one day, if I ever have the resources, I will give you a gift that you deserve that reflects my love and my honor for you. It's a meaningful gift, right? See, it doesn't really mean, I'm just telling you, it doesn't really matter if you have loving feelings towards someone if you don't put them into action. See, love isn't love until it's expressed. And you cannot love someone and not give. And so he goes on and he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He supplies seed to the sower. And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed In other words, He will give you enough to meet your needs and to live a life of generosity, to live a life of giving. For sowing an increase in the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, what He's saying is this, that God promises to bless those who give, to bless those who are willing to give. For those that are willing to sow bountifully, He will bless them bountifully. To those who reap sparingly, there's not much blessing. Verse 11 is a dangerous verse. And but we've been walking through this together verse by verse, and I almost wanted to kind of skip over this verse because this verse has been so misused out of context, so misaligned by prosperity gospel preachers or TV evangelists. And here's what the verse says. And so he goes on, he says, and you will be rich in every way to be generous. In other words, you're blessed to be a blessing. And so you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which is through us, will produce thanksgiving to God. And so so the prosperity gospel preachers or TV evangelists, they wrongfully will tell you, you know what, if you will sow a seed into their ministry, if you will give into their ministry, then God's going to bless you and you're going to be able to afford that BMW, that Beamer, that you're live life large, you're going to have a lot of money, you're going to have the yacht, you're going to have the big vacations, you're going to have the big clothes, you're going to have all of that stuff. And that's not what Paul is talking about. fact is, Paul says... That type of motivation doesn't even bring any blessing from God. Listen, that type of motivation of giving, even a lost person would give under those circumstances, right? Even a lost person would understand just financially that makes great sense. And Paul is saying that's not what he's talking about. fact, fact is, Paul goes even deeper, and Paul says, you know what? Riches aren't always material, right? And I, I've read autobiographies. I've known some people that were very, very wealthy, They don't have any peace in their life, and they don't have any joy in their life. I've read autobiographies of men and women that said, "You know what I'd, I'd give everything. I'd give everything away if I could just find peace and if I could just find comfort and if I could just find contentment and fulfillment and life. And so maybe God wants to bless you and maybe God wants to make you rich in peace, and maybe God wants to make you rich in joy, and maybe God wants to make you rich, listen in family and friends and relationships. And maybe rich in faith and character and all of those other things that, listen, that money cannot even buy. Not everybody can handle a huge financial blessing, but God's rewards are not just financial. Do I believe that God wants to bless His children? Absolutely. But not just so they can keep indulging themselves so that they learn that, you know what, the reason that I bless you, the reason that you have a harvest is so what? So you could be a blessing so that you can be a blessing to others. We are blessed, what Scripture says, to be a blessing. See, our motivation to make more money, to work hard, is also so that we can give more away. And we can be generous with our income. See, God's rewards are not always immediate he uses the, the analogy, he loses the story of a farmer. And so the farmer, what? He plants in one season and reaps a harvest in another season. And so there's a period or there's times or he sows in one season and he reaps in another season. And so when you look at that principle, you realize that the harvest is not, it's not immediate. And so just because you become a giver doesn't mean that the rewards are going to be immediate. fact is what he says is this some of the rewards won't even come until eternity. Remember last week we looked at Mark chapter 10 and we talked about the rich young, young ruler. What's so interesting when you talk about this in America, nobody, nobody ever really considers themselves rich, right? I mean, have you ever noticed that? Nobody really ever considers themselves rich. Fact is, if you talk to someone and you ask them if they're rich, usually what they'll come back and say, no, I'm not rich. Let me tell you who is rich. And they'll talk to you about someone that is, has more money than them, right? And so it's kind of hard for Americans to understand this issue of being, being rich or being wealthy, and a lot don't even like to admit it. And so, but when you look at world statistics and, 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 and you find that if you make somewhere between $35,000 and $40,000 a year, that you are in the top four percentile in the world. And so Jesus talks. To this rich young ruler. And he didn't tell him you have to sell all of yourself for eternal life. But what Jesus did tell him. If you will follow me. And if you will become a giver. I'll even bless you greater. And this man. Had trusted in his wealth. You see this, this man had worshipped his money. Rather than using his money to worship God. And express to God how much He loved Him, and so Jesus tells Him, "If you'll become a giver, I'll I'll bless your socks off." When Simon Peter hears all this, and Simon Peter was always the guy that was saying what everybody else was thinking, right? And so Simon Peter hears this, Matthew or Mark, chapter ten, verse twenty-eight. So Simon Peter wants to know, "Hey, how about me?" So Simon Peter began to say to Jesus, "He said, see, we have left everything, and they.'" So, so, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And, oh, by the way, God used this, this, this group of scriptures when Karen and I left homes and family and friends and Texas, and we came to Pueblo, Colorado to plant this church. And we have lived out this verse, and we have found that this verse is absolutely true. And you can stake your life on it. And so Simon Peters want to know what about me? So Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not. So here's the promise. Remember, there's conditional promises in Scripture and there's unconditional, there's conditional promise. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time? Houses and brothers and mothers and children, lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. In other words, thinking big. Is not only just looking at this life, understanding that the believer that we have rewards in eternity, and we're going to spend a lot eternity, a lot more in eternity than we're going to spend here. And so all of a sudden Jesus begins kind of helping them to think big and to think wisely. But for many who are first, is what Jesus said, and'll uh, be last and the first and the last first. So anyway, what Jesus was looking at Simon Peter telling him, "You know you sacrifice anything. I'll reward you. I'll bless you. And he put a number to it. He said, I'll bless you a hundredfold, whether it's in this life or whether it's in the life to come. In other words, God keeps accurate records is what the Scripture tells us. And he is no man's, um, he is no person's debtor. And so what he says, if you sacrifice for him, he promises that he will pay you back a hundredfold. And sometimes the reward is delayed. And sometimes the reward is, is some in this life and then the next life to come. Verse 11, says you will be, a promise, you will be enriched, in, and you'll be enriched in every way, not just financially. There, there, there's so much more to life than prosperity and financial. To be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And, and, and I've, been, I've been giving tithing since my mid-20s, and here, here's what I've learned about that. Giving is a lot like giving blood. God replenishes it. I don't get it, and I don't understand it. I don't understand the numbers. I don't understand the math. But giving is a lot like giving blood, that it just gets replenished. Second thing and the last thing is this. I just want you to see several things that giving does in your life and my life and the life of our community. So Paul begins going through and helping them to flesh this out. The first one is this. Giving meets the needs of others. In other words, giving meets the needs of others. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Listen, one of the reasons that the younger generation, I'm just telling you, the younger generation is cynical about the local church. This is because the younger generation has looked into the local church and says, you only care about yourself. In fact is, most Christians I look at, they're takers, not givers. Jesus didn't have that type of ministry. In fact, it's most churches I look at, it's only about them. It's only about their stuff. It's not about helping the poor, not help, 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 helping the sick. It's not about helping the less fortunate. It's not about any of that. It's just kind of like it's only about you, and it's about your stuff and, and, and your indulgence and all of this other stuff. But when you look at Scripture, you realize that the New Testament church right there in Corinth was a church that reached their community. Because they gave to the local church, and out of the local church, they ministered to the community. Listen, that community didn't even look well on the local church at first. It's just kind of a a shocking thing when I was reading through a a commentary on on Corinthians, and I was wanting to understand the culture, and I read a sentence that I, I could not even believe was said of that church. Remember, I've told you that the Corinthian church was a lot like our church. Corinth was a city that was very, very immoral. Fact is, there was a thousand temple prostitutes that every night came from the temple, and they went into the city, and they they worked their trade. It was an act of worship. Homosexuality was running rampant. Uh, It was a a time of just great immoral acts and, and all of this other stuff. And Paul plants a church there, and all these new believers are coming into the church for the very first time. They're in Corinth, and all of a sudden, there's this line in, in the commentary that, that could have been said of our time, I thought it only existed in our time, honestly. And all of a sudden, the commentary, the commentator wrote about as people were coming into the city and coming into the church, and Paul was treach, preaching biblical purity and biblical morality and all of those other things. And then the line said, "Because of that, the city of Corinth looked at the Christians, the church." as haters of mankind. See, we thought all this hate speech was new. We thought all this hate speech was politically driven, right? We thought of all that was going on when you stand up and you speak truth to someone about morality, about life, about purity, and someone says, ah, that's a hate speech. You hate that individual. See, we thought that only existed in our time. Listen, it existed in their time. And they changed a community. Because they simply started meeting the needs, they started meeting the needs of others. Second thing that giving does is this: giving is a testimony of your faith. Listen, I'm telling you, if you cannot, if you cannot trust God with your wealth, how can you trust Him with a turtle life? How can you trust Him with tomorrow? It's a testimony of your faith. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and all the others. See, all of a sudden the world, you know what the world's impressed with? The world's not impressed that we gather together for an hour a week and worship him. They're not impressed with that. You know what they're impressed with? When you start ministering to the community. What you do with your money, because now you're talking their language. See, we help people at Fellowship of the Rockies regardless whether they're a member here or not. We've adopted elementary schools. That's a testimony of our faith. We've dumped huge resources into elementary schools. We've helped the poor. We've helped the homeless. We've had mission teams go out and just serve the homeless over a week. You may or may not be aware of this, but yesterday we served single moms of our community. And so we just told single moms, if you need your oil change, if you cannot afford to have your oil change, we'll do it for you. We, we in conjunction with Mueller, Mueller Automotive on the east side, we, we invited single moms to sign up. And yesterday uh, we changed the oil for 54 single moms and ministered to them. And it didn't matter to us whether they're a member of our church or not. We just served them. We have people in our church that came to us as single moms through that ministry. They couldn't afford to have their service, car service. They couldn't afford to have that done. And we simply changed their oil, and we began to minister to them and minister to their children. And as a result of that, they says, I think I would like to go to that church. And so they come to this church, and they, the whole family meets Christ. And we baptize them, and now they're in ministry. fact is... Some of the ministry partners were single moms that had come to us through that ministry, and now they're ministering to others. See, when you give, it is a testimony of your faith. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, He said, in the same way, Let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The third thing is this about giving. Giving is an expression of thanks to God. And it is an expression of giving thanks to God. And that's why Paul said in verse 15, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. When we needed forgiveness of sin, when we needed our past wiped away and all the junk and the stuff gone, God sent what? His very best. Not his leftovers. Not something that would just barely get us by. But he sent his very best. He sent his first. He sent his one and only son who knew no sin, who became sin for us for forgiveness of sin. And because of that, And he didn't wait till we deserved it, right? Aren't you glad? And see, we minister to people in this community whether they deserve it or not. He didn't wait for us to get our life right to love us. Fact is, Scripture says, 1 John 4:19, we love because what? He first loved us. He loved us before we ever loved him. The scripture says while we were still sinners, he like died for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And the scripture also tells us, guess what? God is a hilarious giver. I mean, he cheerfully gives. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, what is that word, just joy. And it's so weird to see joy in this sentence. who, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me ask you, have you ever done something really nice for someone? Have you ever given someone a really nice gift? Have you ever done something really nice for someone and they never told you thank you? It's a letdown, right? It's not because you did it for the thanks, right? We know that. You didn't do it for the thanks. But it was still a letdown, right? Because you just wanted to know they appreciated it. You just wanted to know that it blessed them. You just wanted to know that it helped them. You just wanted to know that it made a difference in their life. And do you realize that when you give, it is a thank you note to God. All through the scripture, there were thanks offerings. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for generously giving to me. Thank you, God, for meeting my need. See, a lot of Christians live out of this scarcity mentality that the more I give, the less I have. But that's absolutely not true. The fact is, the kingdom of God doesn't even work that way. The less you give, the less you have. The more you give, the more you have. I mean, it's like giving blood. I mean, I don't even understand it. I just know it works. Here's what I also know is true, that if, if you hang on to what you have and you don't give, your heart becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to where you lose your soul and your joy in the process. That's why Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? See, that's what happened to the rich young ruler. And see, I've, I've learned that when I give, I'm putting God in the equation of my finances and I can do more with him involved in my finances than I can without him involved in my finances. That he has promised in this life and the life to come to repay us a hundredfold. What kind of deal is that? Now, I wanted to end this series up and we are going to end this series up with just an illustration that I just, I just wanted to illustrate it in such a way that one, you get it, two that you never forget it. Because thinking small is just thinking about this world, and thinking big is thinking about this world plus eternity. So let's just talk about this just real quickly. And and so over here will be a, a mark, and and so so you know this right? And we're going to spend eternity in in heaven. That this life is just brief. And so we're spending eternity in heaven. And so this will be the start of our life. And so you know that we, we enter eternity. Eternity begins for the believer when we accept Christ. That starts eternal life. And so over here, and then we'll just say, just for easy math's sake, that all the way over to here will represent 100,000 years in eternity. Now, we could use a million. We could use 10 million. We could use 100 million. But just for math's sake, just for illustration's sake... Let's just use 100,000. Now, listen, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of math quiz. I'm on a lot of uh, prescription drugs from the doctor. It's safe and everything else. But I'm having trouble thinking sometimes. And so we're just going to have to figure this out together, okay? So here's 100,000 years. And all the way back over there was like the start of eternity, okay? And so here we go. And so what is half of 100,000? 50,000, okay? So you guys are slower than the other services. I just want you to know. I'm telling you I may need help. Because it's going to get hard, and we're not going to do decimals and all that other stuff. Some of you already got your iPhones out. You're getting the calculators that I can do this. And all the teachers are going, oh, finally, math teachers finally is going to use math in church. Awesome. And so, so now we're at 50,000. That's about halfway between here and there, right? And so then, so let's just keep going. So what is half of 50,000, which is about here? Okay, so 25,000. So here we go. So then it's about here. And then so what is half of 25,000? Yeah, 12,500, good, so we're all tracking, and so now we're moving closer, and so now now what is half of 12,500? Okay, so 6,125, we're not doing decimals, anything like that, we'll just keep it at that, okay, and so now what is half of uh, 6,250, right, that's where we were, 6,250, is that where we were? Okay, so what's half of that? 3,125, okay, good, all right, so what's half? Of 3,125, which would be about here, which is 1,562. Okay? What's half of 1,562, which is a, just barely a step, it's 781. And then what's half of 781, which is not hardly a step, which is 390. And half of 390 is 195, so it would be about just about right here. And then half of 195 is... It's like 97, and it's right here. It represents actually a half an inch, 97. Now listen, we'll be lucky to live 97 years, right? And so here's what we do when we think small. We cram everything into this half-inch mark, 97 years. It's all about us. It's about our self-indulgence. It's about our toys. It's about our stuff. We give no thought to that. We give no thought to giving. We give no thought to to generosity. And he tells us, God tells us, that this life is what? It is a vapor. It is a half an inch. It is fleeting. It is not here very long at all, period. And so here's what we do. We give no thought to eternity. It's all about this. And God says, in this life, in this vapor of a life, what kind of deal is this? In this vapor of a life, a life that is fleeting, a life that is like a half an inch, when we live a life of generosity, when you pour into others, and when you give, I will bless you not only in this life, but I will bless you all the way into eternity. And there's some people at this point will push back. And, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's like Old Testament stuff. That's under the law, right? No. Did you realize they gave way before the law? They gave way before the law. In fact, this is the point of salvation with the rich man. He said the principle of giving. And they gave 10%, right, under the law. Any of you want to be under the law ever again? No. I hope not. And so shouldn't we, under grace, shouldn't we give more? after what He has done for us, and where we see, that take my life, my whole life, may it be an offering to you, and what kind of deal is it? How can you refuse? That when He says, that if you will give, if you will be generous now, I will bless you, in this life, hundredfold, this life, in all the way, all the way into eternity, that hundreds of thousands and millions of years. So the question for you is this. And the question for me is this. What are you building your life on? The existence of a postage stamp of 97 years? Are you building your life of generosity and of giving for eternity? To where he sets you free. What is the sum total of your entire existence? Or do you want to live a life of generosity, of sowing into the kingdom of God? That is thinking wisely. That is thinking big.